My name is David Lee, and this is my wife, Catherine. Our scripture reading today is from Colossians 3 and Romans 12. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. The Bible often places the challenge to be patient next to the call to bear with and to be ready to forgive difficult people. We see this in Colossians 3, 12 to 13. 所以你们既是神的选民，圣洁蒙爱的人，就要传怜悯、恩慈、谦虚、温柔、忍耐的心。倘若这人与那人有嫌隙，总要彼此包容、彼此饶恕。神怎样饶恕你们，你们也要怎
of God's Spirit in our lives is supposed to be patience. Now, I've, I've got to honestly confess to you that of all of this series that I've been uh, going through, this one has been the most convicting as I've been getting ready for it. Because I like things to happen fast. I wonder if there's anybody else like me here. Uh, Lord, give me patience, and I want it right now. You know, that sort of thing. Um, you, you know that old quip, don't you? Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, but never in a man. Now, I know that a woman came up with that quip. I, and it's not in the Bible. I'm just telling you it's not in the Bible. But I still find that there's a measure of truth in it, at least in the Waybright home. Uh, Chris, uh, my wife, I, I just know is more patient than I am. But I just want to tell you this. This is an area that I've just been deeply praying that God would develop more and more in my own life. And I've been praying the same thing for you. So that's what we're going to think about today. And it's going to be such a simple way of organizing it. Uh, I first want us to think about what patience is. Uh, the Bible speaks about it in a, a, a bit more focused way than the world usually does. And I want to think about that. Then I want to go through this really challenging part of what patience looks like and, and how you deal with uh, situations where you don't want to be patient. And then third, uh, just a word at the end about how I think God can grow that life of patience within you. So ready? So what it is, I want to go back to that verse that David read, Colossians 3.12. So clothe yourselves with, and the last word that he gives, with patience. Um, and then it's like comma. What is he talking about? I'm talking about bearing with each other and forgiving one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now if you look at the uh, dictionary definitions of patience... Usually we think about uh, patience as, as that ability not to, to, to be in a rush, uh, not, not to give up whenever um, there are difficult circumstances or difficult people. Uh, difficult circumstances like finances are tough, uh, my health might, might be failing, that sometimes it's hard to be patient. Or the other side, well, we all know what I'm talking about when I talk about difficult people. Now, with the, the way that the Bible uses patience, uh, in, in, in Galatians 5.22, when it says the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives is patience, um, is almost always referring to being patient with difficult people. Uh, the, the word that Paul used in his language is macrothumia, and it really kind of means being willing to suffer for a long time, even with a difficult person. In fact, the old version, some of you remember, it's just called long-suffering. So to understand what the Bible talks about when it talks to you about patience, I think we all know in our world that we talk about people who have a short fuse, short temper. You know what that is, don't you? Well, patience is to have a long fuse. A long fuse. It means the work of God inside of you and me so that we don't overreact whenever difficult people do things that make us want to overreact. And the fruit of the Spirit, when God is at work in our lives, then it, it should make us more people like that. Patient, even with difficult people. Now, I'll just tell you, there are two convictions that we have that undergird that definition. And I want you to think if you really are convinced of these things. Number one, when you're a follower of Jesus, different from when you weren't following Jesus, you, you have this conviction that God is patient with difficult people. Anybody happy about that? 
God himself is patient uh, with, with troubling and, and difficult people. In fact, uh, when you open up the Bible in the earlier parts, I mean centuries even before Jesus, uh, Moses had been with God for a long time. You know, he'd met him at a burning bush, if you know that story. And, uh, but had, over years and years, he'd been with God, and then he didn't really know what God is like. I think a lot of people show up at church and kind of feel that way. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, you know everything about me. You know everything about me. But, but I don't really know you. And in the very Jewish way of putting it, he said, tell me your name. Uh, to, to tell the name means to know something about the person. And so God does. And in the seminal text in the Bible, we learn something about God. I want you to grab this. God passes in front of Moses, and what he says is, my, I am the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Who am I? What am I like? The compassionate and gracious God. And then the next phrase, slow to anger. Throughout the rest of the Bible, whenever people wondered, what is God like, and how is he going to treat me when I fail, or then they always came back to this over and over again. This is what God is like. He doesn't like evil, and when we engage in it, he wants us to turn from it, and evil will be punished, but he is slow. He doesn't lash out against us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Are you glad about that? Now, here's the hard part for us, for those of us who say we're Christians. Um, most people aren't going to show up at a church. Most people won't. And so they're not going to hear the pastor saying, this is what patience is, this is the way God made us to live. So how are they going to find out what God is like? They have to find out through watching us. And so what has to happen is our lives have to change so that the patience that God has shown to us, that we offer to other people, and they look at that and say, so that's what God is like. That is a beautiful thing. So I've written this up here just for you to chew on. One of the ways that people will see that you are truly a follower of Jesus, indwelt by his Holy Spirit, is this. That you will grow in your patience with troubling people because God is patient with you. So that's first conviction. Do you believe that? God is patient? All right. Let's move on. The other conviction that we have is different from the way, what comes naturally to us. We really believe that evil cannot be overcome by evil. It's consistent in the Bible. You don't find this in any other religion, not at least this way. And in the text that David and Catherine read to us, there are two verses that point this out. Verse 17 of Romans 12 and verse 21. And this is what it says, verse 17. So do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then even more pointed is in verse uh, 21. That was verse 17. Um, do not be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil by doing good. So I've got to ask you, do you believe that that's the way we're supposed to live? It's in the Bible. <laughs> do, you believe, do you believe that's the way we're really supposed to live? No, let's face it. When we are bothered by people, our, our natural reaction is to want to retaliate. Sigmund Freud, in his uh, book, Gedanke and Einfälle, wrote about this. He knew what was in the Bible. And he said, one must, it is true, forgive one's enemies, but not before they are hanged. <laughs> so, uh, let, let's say, isn't this what we see in the world? Okay, tell me if you don't feel this. Um, someone insults you. 
And you just want to insult them back, but even better. So sometimes when you get an insult, you can't think of a quick one to come back. And you go home and you, you think, oh, why didn't I say that? And you look forward to the time when you can really say that really negative thing uh, to that person. It, anybody relate to this? It's hard for us to confess this to one another when we go to church, isn't it? If, if someone hurts you, you want to hurt back. Remember Pastor Gordon used to always preach, hurting people hurt people. And yet here comes the Bible, and it tells us that when we lash back and do the very same thing that people do to us, it tells us we are going to be overcome ourselves by evil. And it's not going to help them either, because if we just lash back evil for evil, they'll want to repay again, and it just keeps escalating. Until somebody steps in and is willing to absorb it and offer back forgiveness. But our natural, I mean, the, the way Paul puts it, the works of the flesh, I mean, the way I want to do it, is if I'm suffering, I want that other person to suffer the way, the way that I do. And sometimes you can try to pay back by, by doing something that harms them. And other times it's just inside stewing and willing that something bad will happen to that other person. So, I mean, okay, driving your car. Driving down the street, somebody cuts you off. You say, ah. And you drive along for a few minutes later and you see that the police has pulled that other person over and you say, yes. <laughs> How do I know this so well? I don't want... All right, brothers and sisters, this is what we believe when we follow Jesus. And, and if you're new to church, I just want you to know that this is what God wants to do in our lives. We believe that God is patient with us, that though we have failed, he is patient with us and longs for us. He stands with arms open wide, longs for us to come back. Hallelujah, right? But then he also calls us to reflect that kind of patience with those around us in the world. We believe that. And, and number two, we are convinced that in this world, evil is never going to be overcome by, by us doing evil. It just is going to make it escalate. But by doing good, that's the way Jesus went about it, dying in our place. These are the convictions of every true follower of Jesus, and I hope they are yours. Now, the real issue is how to live this out, right? How do you live this way? And uh, here's what I thought. Gathering in a church like this, we come from so, so many different backgrounds, don't we? And all of us have some difficult people in our lives. And even in our individual lives, there's such a broad spectrum of difficult people. I mean, on one side, there may be the person that we just feel like they don't like us. And, and so it just feels really awkward to be around them. And, and a little bit more intense is maybe somebody that we feel has wronged us in the past. Not going on right now, but still it's never been set right and we're still irritated by it. And then we have those that it just feels like they're out to get us. What the Bible talks about, they really seem to be wanting to persecute you. So if there is such a broad range of, of different kinds of difficult people, and we have so many different kinds of people here, if we just shared with one another all the difficult people, I'm telling you, you would realize how hard it is to preach one sermon to us all and to give any counsel for how we're supposed to live in the context of difficult people. Do you see that? I'm just wanting you to have pity for your pastor. <laughs> okay, uh, but I find Romans 12, 14 to 21. And if you have a Bible or if, even if not, if you can find it on your phone or something or just listen very carefully, I just want to walk through it because it seems to me that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to do. He, he's going to walk through us and give us 
uh, perspectives on how we deal patiently with difficult people. And they're quite challenging, I'll tell you right now. Uh, but they are life-changing. I'll, I'll call them directives. <clears throat> so, so what do we do when there's a person that is really troubling us or bothering us or persecuting us? Number one, the Bible says we pray God's blessing on them. Annie told me that the whole sermon could be about that. You told me that. Verse 14. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Don't curse them. And I think by that he means that, that in our prayer lives we need to stop and intentionally think, am I willing what is wrong for that person or am I really, Lord, wanting the very best for that other person? I, I think it, it, takes, it begins with a prayer of transformation in our own hearts. So that we have the same desire for others that we've experienced from God. Jesus giving his life to bring about the best in us even while we were sinners. And asking him to give us that same perspective. So I've thought I, I need to pray something like this. Lord, I am really angry or frustrated by that person. But I know how you've dealt with me. So I'm going to come and pray for them. As I know Jesus prayed for me, not for their destruction, but for their reclamation, for their redemption. I'll just tell you, I find it hard to hate somebody I'm praying for. It changes things. And, and I think the biggest thing here is that as Christians, we need to offer always the opportunity for forgiveness. That's why I chose that Colossians uh, 3 verses 12 and 13 you are to forgive how am I to forgive well you're to forgive as Christ forgave you he, he was willing to step into our place and, and do something that would make forgiveness possible and offer it to us now it, it really means the way that Jesus forgave that did not mean that he just sort of swept everything in our past under the rug as if it didn't happen no we've got to be honest to open that up to him he asks us to confess that so it takes that kind of honest recognition of what has happened and coming and, 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 and seeking restoration and forgiveness. But I'm telling you, the position that we must have as followers of Jesus is, is the position God has toward you and me, always with open arms. Saying, whatever has been in your past, I'm ready to start with you again. It's that opportunity to offer forgiveness that is characteristic of the true follower of Jesus. So we, we must learn to pray, pray God's blessing on them instead of wanting the worst. I'm not going to stop there. Number two. Directive number two. Get into their shoes. Look at verse 15. He's quoting here, you know, the book of Proverbs. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Here's what I found in my many years of living. Uh, that when there is a, a break in a relationship, two people in opposition to one another, that, that chasm in that relationship keeps getting broader if, if both parties are only looking at the thing from their perspective. You know what I'm getting at when I say that? Uh, have you ever been with a person who's really angry with somebody else and you only hear it from their perspective? Then it seems like they're 100% right, the other person is 100% wrong until you talk to the other person. And the same thing is going to be true with all of our relationships. As long as we only look at it from our perspective, 
Uh, There almost never will be any opportunity to enter back into a relationship with that person. We must be able to get into the shoes. We can't break off that relationship. If if, if you just cut a person off and, and avoid a person, there will never be the chance to be able to know what they're mourning about. You can't mourn with them if they're mourning. You will never be able to rejoice with them. So your heart has to change so you're wanting the best for them. When we see that beginning to happen, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Uh, 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 Harper Lee, in her first book, To Kill a Mockingbird, not this latest one, (laughs) wrote something I thought was so insightful. I wrote it down. I've looked at it so many times. Uh, She said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Until you climb inside his skin and walk around in it. You know, all of us are affected by the evil and injustices in our world. We've all, we'd, all of our families are imperfect. All of our experiences. And so that person who's may, may be very difficult. You just have no idea what that person has been going through. And yet a Christian wants to get into those shoes and empathize with them. And I think verse 18 adds an important point. I want you to be cautioned here. He says, if it is possible, you know, continue to do life. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace uh, with, with everyone. It, it means you can't avoid that other person, but sometimes that other person uh, avoids you. You can't force that other person to enter into a relationship. As far as it's possible, as much as it depends upon you, the perspective of a follower of Jesus is arms open, I'm ready for a relationship. And, and I've got to add this caution too. I think that that matter of as far as it is possible at least embraces in some ways the fact that sometimes difficult people have been abusers. Sometimes there's violence in the situation. And I am telling you it's in those situations that I say don't enter back into that relationship at least not on your own. I don't ever encourage a person to do that. If it is possible as far as it depends upon you then then get into their shoes. Directed number three. Then treat that other person as a fellow human being. See the image of God in that other person. Look, I want to see verse 16. It has three phrases. It's a very Jewish way of putting it. So it's A-B-A. Okay, A, do not be proud. Uh, B, be willing to associate with those in low positions. C, do not be conceited. Are you beginning to see what keeps us from having relationships with difficult people? Pride keeps getting in the way. We keep thinking, they're the ones who are messed up. Well, I guess Jesus had to die for my sin too, but he really had to die for his sin. (laughs) He's really uh, messed up. Um, The specific way that the Bible says we often disregard people, it says, make sure that you open up the opportunity for a relationship with those of, of, of low position. And that word is sometimes used for, for people who don't have any money or any power or prestige. So make sure that you associate with people who are often not associated with by other people. But, but it really is a broader word than that. It's, it's really referring to anybody that you feel is beneath you. For any reason. Spiritually too. They're worse than I am. They're lower. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. That's what God is saying here. Do you see it? The word was used by the Jewish people for tax collectors. They weren't poor. It's just they consider them 
rotten people. It, it was used for Roman soldiers in their community that they didn't want to have there. It was used all the time for Samaritans, uh, Christians, when we know that Jesus had to die for us. There's no hope apart from the mercy of God. Then we can never be proud toward another person. Have I preached this a thousand times in my eight years? So when, when the whole series of messages, the fruit of the Spirit changes us when we truly follow Jesus. He changes everything about us. But one of the fundamental changes he, he makes in us is he changes our eyes. He, he changes the way we see one another and, and the way we see people. We don't longer just see people as rotten people over there that I dislike. We see them as people who are made in God's image for whom Jesus died. And we really do believe that if Jesus died for me, then forgiveness is available for anybody. There is hope for anybody. Remember the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He had once been very proud. Best educated man in his community, quite well to do, from the best family. And then he found out when she met Jesus that Jesus had to die for him or there was no hope. And that changed him. And because he saw that Jesus died not only for me, but for you and you and you, for everyone. He died for all. And Paul says, now I can't see anybody anymore from a worldly point of view. How do we see people? We see people in this way. 2 Corinthians 5.18, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If anyone, anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. You have a new beginning. Because the old is gone, the new has come. So, do you believe this? If you and I believe this, then it's got to shape the way that we engage with the people in our world. We've got to offer the same forgiveness. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate those that you might have viewed as low because you were once there too, you know. Do not be conceited. Jesus told a story about this. It's a powerful story. Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 22 to 35. So it's a story in our context that would be a, 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 an employee going to his employer and he, owned his, he owed his employer a ridiculously high amount of money. I mean, Jesus picked out like, like a million or many millions of dollars and the employer had said, it's time for you to pay me back. Or are you going to go to prison? And the employee comes and falls on his knees and begs for mercy. Please forgive me. Please don't, don't send me to prison. I'll pay you back somehow. And you know what the, you know what the employer does? He forgives the whole debt. How would you feel? Wow. You know what this guy does? He goes right out. And there's a, one of the fellow workers next to him that owed him a piddling amount of money compared to what he owed. And he says, pay me that back right now. Or I'm going to call the police and have them slap you into prison. And he does it. Okay, let's listen to what Jesus says about this. Um, the master, Jesus said, uh, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you then have had mercy on your fellow servant in the way that I had it on you? And in anger, the master handed him over to the jailers. And then Jesus applies this sermon to you and me. I think he's much more direct than I am. I try to learn from this. He said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive others from your heart. All right. Um, we have to treat people, even those that just really irritate the life out of us. 
as fellow human beings. As fellow human beings. Directed four. All right, now comes the harder part. (laughs) We need to intentionally act on their behalf. Look at verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do you remember this is also from Proverbs, the series that we did? It comes right out of the, the, the Old Testament. And, and in this biblical command, we see that God wants us not only to pray, Lord, bless those uh, who are my enemies, but he wants us actually to do something. He, he said that if you look in anybody's life, you're going to see needs. And if you care, as, as God cares for us, then you're going to find some. Sometimes they're going to be hungry. Sometimes they're going to be thirsty. Extend yourself with good to meet those needs. And you'll find you'll be able to become more patient toward those persons as you engage in loving acts toward them. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this. Um, you know, he was writing right after World War II. And so a lot of times when you read Lewis's writings, he's writing about what he saw in Nazism when the Nazis were persecuting the the Jewish people. And one of the things that he wrote about, and you find it in a number of his letters, he he would write about this, that um, when he watched how the Nazis treated Jewish people, they treated them with such hatred. And you would have thought they would have gotten rid of the hatred. But it doesn't happen. When you do hateful things, it's like a fuel. It makes you hate that person even more. And he says, the loving acts, it seems to him, do the very same thing. That as you actually step out and do loving things uh, for another person, your love for that person will also be fueled and will grow. And many, many times that person will be shocked by the love of Christ seen through you and will be drawn to Christ. Nelson Mandela Uh, these were the verses that shaped his life when he was unjustly imprisoned. And I think I put a a quote from him here. He had come to this conviction that acts of mercy, like Jesus engaged in, change things eternally in ways that retribution and payback never can. He called us as Christians to remember that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. This is the way of Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is what the Bible is saying, that when the Holy Spirit does his work in us, he produces this kind of patience in us that actually acts on behalf of the enemy. When I look into the face of my enemy, what did Demetrius sing? I see my brother. At least my potential brother. Last directive. So, when, when, when the, the enemy is doing harm, not only to you but to others, you've got to stop the harm, stop the damage. But at the end of the day, you've got to let God do the judging. Let God do the punishing. That's not your job. That's not my job. So look at verses 19 and 20. So do not take revenge, dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. Make note of that phrase. Leave room for God's wrath. Sometimes I, I think we think, I, I've got to get, get that person back. God might not do it very well. Leave room for God to do his work. When you do that, good for your enemy in that context. What it's like, he says, it, it's like you're heaping burning coals on his head. Again, another quote out of Proverbs. 
And uh, do you remember I talked about this? And because I don't think you do, I'm going to tell you again. Uh, <laughs> that coal, heaping coals on people's head, that was uh, uh, when people lived within a walled city. Uh, often the enemy would come. You've seen this in movies. You've seen this in movies or, or in television. They would come up the walls, climbing up the walls, and the people in, wanting to do harm. And the people on the inside of the wall, they would take coals and dump it over the side on, onto the heads, apparently because if people's hair is on fire, they can't wield a sword. I've never done it, but, uh, but apparently that must be what, what happened. But you see what the, the whole goal is? The, the burning coals is talking about stopping the damage that comes sometimes from evil. And, and it's this ongoing biblical message that even though we are to love our enemies, we don't, we don't just let abuse and injustice go on in our world. But we use whatever resources God gives us uh, to stop the abuse and to stop the damage. Now what he's saying very clearly is, us doing evil back will not stop it. Don't try to overcome evil by you yourself doing evil things. The best way is generally to stop in and step in and, 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 and feed the hungry and, 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 and to give water to the thirsty. But one way or the other, it, it is clear to me that we are to stop the evil and stop uh, the, the harm that is going to come, but not with the spirit of thinking, I want to pay that guy back. Not even with thinking, I've got to be the one who punishes him. God says, that's my job. This is all through the Bible. I don't know where you ever hear this anywhere else. But God says at the end of the day, to make sure that evil is dealt with and that justice reigns, that's my job. I will do it, God says. You don't have to do my job for me. I will repay. I will avenge. So how God does that... Um, uh, much of the rest of Romans tells you he, he creates authorities in this world that are supposed to bring about punishment and justice with regard to evil. So Romans 13. Uh, all authorities established in this world have been established by God. Uh, he said even the government, and he lived in a rotten government in Rome, anti-Christian government, and yet he said that's better than anarchy. The responsibility of the government and the court system is to make sure evil is punished and justice reigns. Um, but let's take this. Um, what about your family? When, when in the family, uh, evil happens within that family, isn't it the responsibility God has given to the parents to try to make sure that, that evil is dealt with and, and that reconciliation takes place? What about in the church? Isn't it the responsibility of the spiritual leadership, the elders, for us, the ministry council, that when there are wrongs that are happening in the church, that you deal with that appropriate punishment, appropriate uh, opportunity for reconciliation? Okay, I don't know if you're... Are you with me? What about teachers? What about the school? When there's evil happening in the school, isn't it a responsibility of the teachers and the principal to step in and try to bring about justice. There are God's appointed authorities. Now, let's face it. We human beings don't do our job very well. And so a lot of times people get by with doing evil in, in the world. And we want to help God out. And God says, no, no, no. Uh, vengeance is not your personal prerogative. That, that is not your responsibility. That is mine. And that phrase. So when you're dealing with people, leave room 
for God's wrath. And by that is, God alone knows what people need, what the appropriate punishment is. God alone knows uh, what's happened in that person's life. And God will do what is best, and he will be both just and loving. Our responsibility then is when we have the opportunity uh, to stop the harm when that is happening from an enemy, but always with the longing for the enemy, but never, never doing it with evil, always with the longing that the enemy will come to experience the God we love. It's to live like that, that this little phrase, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Have you thought about that? It's to a life like that God has called us when he says that. So I've tried to summarize it for you. So in this world, don't offend people before you're ready to bless them. Don't act before willing their good. Always offer a path toward reconciliation and relationship. In other words, love your enemy. As Jesus loved you. All right. I'm almost done. I'm I'm almost done. Uh, How does that grow within us? Uh, I've already told you that we can't do this in our own strength. You can have all the rules. The people of Israel had all this beautiful teaching about how we're supposed to live. They wanted to live that way. Many of them. They couldn't. So Jesus said, this is why I've come. Uh, I have come to plant my spirit within your heart to produce that. So all of my saying, do this, 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 doesn't give us the strength to do this, 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 and this, does it? All the rules to say stop doing that won't make you stop it, or me either. We need the power of God's spirit to to work in us. And so I I just want your heart to be open uh, to letting God do whatever he will within you. If you've never really trusted Jesus as your Savior so that you come to know God, I pray that will begin today. But where we have... We need to be like fertile soil for the seed of the Spirit to grow. And so I'm going to give you one phrase. It's from Romans 12.1. I've actually talked about it already. In view of God's mercy. I'm going to just give you that phrase. Live your life in view of the fact that God has shown mercy to you. Uh, Do you know the book of Romans, first 11 chapters, telling us that God is merciful? That none of us deserve it. I mean, he goes three whole chapters to tell us that every one of us has fallen short of what we should be, but that God loves us anyway and has found a way uh, to, to, to bless us and to give us eternal life and has even given us his spirit. Romans 7 and 8, God is a God of mercy. So 11 chapters talking about that. <laughs> and then that opening phrase, chapter 12, verse 1, so in view of God's mercy. The phrase really is, um, in his language, see everything through the lens of God's mercy. Every relationship, every decision you make, think about it and engage in it through the lens of the fact, oh man, God has shown me mercy. Thank you, Lord, I didn't deserve it. And so we act in that very same way. Reflect upon the love of God for you that, that you and I really don't deserve, we haven't earned. Reflect upon what happened on the cross where Jesus, who went to his Father and says, if it's possible, let that cup pass from me. But our salvation and your forgiveness is not possible without Jesus stepping into our place and giving his life. Reflect upon that in view of God's mercy. Again, I ask you, do you think that you're a recipient of God's mercy? Has God shown mercy to you? 
If you really believe that, you will bless those even when they persecute you. You will forgive as you have been forgiven. You'll never seek to overcome evil with evil, but always with good. Because the fruit of God's Spirit is patience. To His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, it's so much easier for me to talk about this than to live it, but continue to develop this work in my heart as the pastor of these wonderful people. And use your word now to do the same work in all of our lives. Father, our world, even as Annie was leading us in prayer, our world is so troubled with with the kind of anger and impatience and abuse and evil. It's just overwhelming. Our lives we experience it. Father, you send us to reflect your ways to people in our lives. We need your help. May the fruit of your spirit bring about patience within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.